Okay, welcome everybody to episode 33 of the Academy of Management Review Origin Series. Um, this is the series, as you know, in which we take you behind the curtain of AMR papers that are in press, so have recently been written in order to try and understand the story behind those papers, what the authors did to come up with their ideas, to develop those ideas, to put them into the, the, the uh, submission process and then revise and resubmit to the point where the paper's actually been accepted. Today, I've got the privilege and the joy of talking about the paper, Designing Online Platforms for Customized Goods and Services, a market frictions-based perspective. And to talk about this, I've got uh, Leon Chu and Brian Wu uh, to talk about this paper um, with me. So um, I'm going to ask them just to briefly introduce themselves as a starting point, and then we will get into what the paper's about and the story behind the paper. So Leon, if we can start with you, tell us a little bit about who you are. Yeah, sure. Thank you, Greg. Uh, hello, everyone. I'm Leon Zhu. Um, when we started the paper, I was a tenure professor of operations management at USC. Now I have moved to CKGSB Changkang Graduate School of Business. Um, yeah, so I'm doing operations management, but I'm very lucky to find Brian, so I'm also doing some of the strategy work now. Yeah. Awesome. Easy. Thank you, Leon. And what yeah. about you, Brian? Thanks, Greg. Uh, my name is Brian Wu. I'm a professor of strategy uh, at the Ross School of Business, University of Michigan, Ann Arbor. So my research is about the uh, dynamics of corporate scope, uh, the evolution of industries. So indeed, uh, as Leon mentioned, this is a quite unique um, co-author team, operations plus strategy. Yes, I was, I was saying to Leon, I didn't recognize, I recognized your <laughs> name and, and know your background and so on, but I didn't recognize Leon's when I saw the paper. And I guess that's because he's coming from a field outside of what we 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 typically see, which is great to that you've got the opportunity to collaborate, and I'd love to learn in this process a little bit more about that story. But before we get into that, can you just give us the brief sort of high level or one minute elevator pitch as to what is this paper about? What are you trying to do in this paper? What is the the core of what it's about? Um, I think for me. Uh, what we learned is for the platform to continue to provide value beyond an information aggregator, it needs to think like a regulator sometimes. You need to come back more detailed economic fraction like moral hazard. So size is no longer the most important dimension for successful platforms, uh, but rather whether the platform can guide the participants into valued added ac activities. So in fact, we also learn from these manuscripts that too many suppliers can create congestion and negative externality and impair the performance of the platform. So that's my take. Yeah, that, that, thanks, Leah. I, I, I fully agree. I, you know, for, for me, for the elevator pitch, which is always hard, I try to make the one sentence. So bigger, not necessarily better in platform businesses. Yeah, that's what I found so interesting about reading it is it's the sort of this notion, we've got this embedded notion in our heads that if you're building a platform business, your primary goal or role is just to maximize both sides of that platform and that's what's gonna create value. 
And in working through this paper, I realized, well, that might not actually be the case. And by being constrained on one side of the platform, we might actually be able to create more value. So have, have I interpreted that correctly? And, and can you help me unpack that a little bit more? Well, I, I think I should have outsourced this pitch to you. <laughs> you stand much better than me. Yeah, so I do it for me. And, and so is there a practical example that you might have used in your head when you were writing this paper or something that you bring up when you might share ideas from this paper with, with MBA students or with others that's sort of like, okay, well, this is like a, a more familiar practical example that sort of illustrates the points that are made in this paper. Can you, is there one that exists? And if so, can you share it with us? Yeah, there is is one um, we have we have in fact a Chinese case about a company called Tubatu. Uh, so in China, we might use that case to talk to the MBA students. And you bring that up in the discussion sec section of the paper. Is that right? Yeah. 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 What it's about not... you, Brian? Any 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 ideas that you're using in 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 either in a class or, or somewhere else in a discussion um, within the sort of UX, US context? Uh, well, uh, I think that's a great question because especially you mentioned in the US context, right? So in fact, uh, I think uh, as our conversation uh, goes on, we'll talk more about the origin of this idea, right? So, so actually we got the idea for, from the Chinese context, right? So where, uh, in some sense, there are still more market friction than in the U.S., right? So this is a setting where, you know, the feature, the key feature of the model is more salient, right? But regarding the example, again, allow me to, for now, to use the example also from China. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, just an anecdote, right? So, you know, Alibaba, uh, you know, we all know, right? So uh, it's a very successful platform in China. So a while ago, it tried to, move firms, offline firms, right, traditional firms uh, in an industry, uh, plastic injection motors, right, onto their e-commerce platform. As you can imagine, you know, the operation team really worked very hard, you know, just try to bring all of them, hundreds of them online. And they very happily reported to their manager, right? So, oh, look, I mean, we got all of them. As you mentioned earlier, right? So get a big fast, right? For, for, for the online platform. That's the conventional wisdom. But the contrary to their plan or their happiness, their manager actually said, look, I mean, we should actually limit it to only 40. And we help these 40 to grow, right? And then, who knows? Right, I lost you somehow. So, and then okay. we could uh, regulate. The, by regulate, I'm not talking about the government type of regulate, but as uh, what Leon shared, right? So the platform owners now can curb the moral hazard, curb those bad behavior that hurt consumer welfare, right? But in return, if they really indeed behave well, the platform can give them more businesses. So that in, now, in other words, in order to create this threat, uh, 
you kind of need to also give them reward. Now, if you had brought all 400 onto the platform, the competition too fierce, right? And it's no longer attractive for any of them to stay on the platform to fear almost for the lack of a better word, fear the threat of being kicked out of the platform, right? So in any case, without going further into the details, I want to end uh, with the outcome of this anecdote. Over one year, more than half of those off-platform motors or firms perished in the field, while those on the platform, 40 of them prospered, right? In part because of traffic directing the user base uh, uh, in, of the, uh, in Alibaba, right? So now the, the whole idea is that in some sense, the platform accelerated the industry consolidation process, right? Uh, of overly crowded, overly competitive industry, like 400, 500 uh, firms, right? So into a more um, stable, more uh, uh, welfare uh, generating uh, uh, equilibrium, right? So, so again, going back to your point, right? I think uh, you know, both Lee and I like to use uh, such examples or cases from China for now. But uh, you know, again, as our conversation goes on, we definitely want to also explore the possibilities in, uh, uh, about its application in, in other settings. And one of the notions there is that you have this idea of market frictions. And by limiting the number of um, participants on one side of the platform, you can actually better manage those market frictions. Have I interpreted that piece correctly? Yeah, uh, yes and no, I think. Uh, yes, yes, you can manage it. But in our paper, actually, we didn't talk about managing the fraction directly. You just reduce them. We talk about reputation building. Um, so in a sense, if you have things very hard to observe or measure, uh, we have to use kind of soft things, reputations. And in China, as Brian mentioned earlier, we have kind of overcapacity everywhere and we don't have much reputation for a lot of industries. And uh, there are just too much competitions. The firm just try to survive each single day. And just add on to Brian mentioned about the Alibaba B2B story. Uh, the original world, uh, actually that's, that's what the former CEO uh, of that section, um, he said, online and offline actually have no difference if you just bring everything, everybody online. So if you have chaotic situation offline, you're gonna have chaotic situation online. So we have to do some changes. So that's his insight. Yeah. So after we finish all the modeling, uh, uh, as we try to wrap up the manuscript, that's the story we find. It's like, oh, someone know that years ago. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah. you you encapsulated it in a more formal theoretical perspective yeah. and helped a broader audience understand it than just someone who's dealing with it day to day. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about how all this got started, how the two of you connected, how you came up with the idea of this sort of notion of, of platforms and market frictions and 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 mitigating those. What's what's the backstory to this paper? Uh, should I start? Yeah. Yeah, please. Yeah, so I mean, several interesting things. First of all, this is a quite a fine project. It's a very fine journey. Um, actually, I can't precisely remember how Lee and I met, but somehow we met. Uh, yeah. Operations <laughs> professor and a strategy professor. You know, we certainly you know need to publish in different journals, right? So uh, before our meeting, but. Uh, 
somehow we started talking. But also, I think uh, our talking uh, was kind of coming from our shared interest in combining managerial practice with the formal modeling in some way. So, for example, as you, you asked, right, so the uh, uh, origin of this idea or this paper, right, so actually came from managerial practice. So, although both of us are formal modelers or mathematical modelers, we, we also like to ground uh, our research on uh, practice. So, for example, this paper, actually before we developed any formal models or even read any papers, we uh, immersed ourselves as strategic advisors. So Leah mentioned uh, the experience uh, with uh, Tubatu, which is a, a home renovation uh, platform. So I uh, uh, served as a strategic advisor for quite a while. So for me, I served as strategic advisor for DD, you know, the kind of Uber uh, in yep. China counterpart. So, so in total, two of us spent, I think almost two years just, just, just immersing ourselves, right? Again, before doing any mathematical models. And then equipped with all the kind of the ideas, you know, kind of the ahas, you know, Leon mentioned, and then we came back, right? And then we think about, you know, over some coffee, we were lunches, we start talking about, you know, how we formulate, formulate, right? So you also alluded to that, right? How do we use the mathematics, right? To make the ideas clear, right? Uh, and, and then connect with the literature, connect with, um, the, our readers. Uh, um, so, and then of course, it's a, it's a back and forth process, right? So Leon also mentioned this. So almost after we develop the model, and then we go back and look at the, you know, our experiences like, wow. So, you know, they were so insightful, right? So, but, uh, but it's, uh, it's really, a, I would say, a, a rewarding process to kind of uh, codify, kind of to, to serve as a bridge, right? So between practice and uh, our research. <laughs> And that, so at what stage of the process, so you, you're embedded in the, in, the, in the practice, you're serving as strategic advisors, you connect, you realize there's some commonality across different platforms that you've been working with. Um, do you, is the first part of writing a paper like this one, is it to come up with the model and then come up with the narrative around it? Or do you write the narrative story and then formally model afterwards? I'd love to know a little bit of the ordering effects. I'm not a mathematical modeler myself. And so I'm interested to know what the process of writing a theory paper around a formal model looks like. Yeah, uh, allow me to quickly say a word and then I'll hand it over to Leah. Uh, I think we started uh, with a toy model, if I remember correctly. So uh, Leah, I'll just give to you. <laughs> okay. I, I think actually, um, uh, uh, as Brian mentioned, so a company called Tubatu, which is a platform for remodeling business, um, is, is really the starting point. Um, and they were already kind of like a special case in China, one I know it. So Brian knows it a bit earlier than me. And uh, so Brian brought out a case about Tubatu. So they are, um, because they are rising stars, so they are already a case written. And uh, just told me just read it and let's let's discuss. And so that's it's very intriguing. I gotta share the story of Tubatu in a minute. Uh, then, if my memory serves me right, is based on that story we try to distill 
what exactly makes these sensing special happen. So because they are they are really special. Um, so we try to get rid of all the unnecessary part of the model and just get to get get down to the essential uh, and build the model. Uh, that that's I think how we did it. And um, and if you want, yeah, let me please allow me a couple of minutes just really talk about what they did back then. Um, so in China, as we mentioned earlier, um, the reputation is an issue. And if you think about remodeling all the service contractors, they are usually bad, right? Uh, you have to do milestone payment. You you pay maybe forty percent first, and they did the same thing. Maybe not that good. Maybe they just run away. So all, all these kind of things may happen, especially maybe 10, 20 years ago. Uh, so Tubatu is a platform in this domain. Uh, so, so you may think it may like maybe Angie's list, right? So, uh, but it's also different from Angie's list because Angie's list is just a information aggregator. Well, Tubatu is more evolved. Uh, so not only you can find the companies on their website, uh, you may submit information and uh, they will find maybe three companies for you and they do additional service like you can buy uh, inspection service from Tubatu. So that's actually one of the main revenue of Tubatu. And uh, they do one thing very special, especially several years ago, they are the first um, in the remodeling industry, they come up with the idea of escrow service. So you will pay to Batu in a sense. And once um, the inspection is done, to Batu will release the money to the companies, to the, to the contractors. Uh, then you move on to the next stage. Um, so, so this is really special. So, so a very natural question is, uh, how did they do it, right? Because contractors will refuse to cooperate. In old days, they will get their money first. Then they will have all the flexibilities. Now they won't, right? So why do they cooperate? Um, so as we get involved in the company, we talk to the founder and the CEO of Tubatu. Um, and uh, he told us not only he received all the objections from contractors, he received all the objections from his high-level managers as well. So the managers say, all the company will leave. Then we don't have anything left on our platform. How can we run it, right? Um, so there was a fight he had to fire. He had to fire two managers and to push us through. And as those people predicted, most of the company left. There was only one company agree with the term. And uh, later on, I also asked uh, the CEO again, I said, how were you so confident? What if all the people left? And he actually told me, he talked to the uh, CEOs of those uh, contractor uh, service provider before. He talked to the contractor beforehand. He know at least one company will willing to stay. So he was confident uh, was a try. So anyway, so this is a small side story. So there one company remain in Shenzhen 
the whole city, there only one company remain. And uh, um, so when customer come, they actually have some organic um, customer demand because they, they, they share their lives. So when customer come, this is the only company available. So if you are the company, you actually see lots of demand coming in and you don't have to compete with other contractors. You, have, you just see lots of demand and you know those customers gonna write a review on the platform. So what happens is this company is really doing a great job. They build a strong reputation and they are busy all the time, fully utilized in a sense, because there are so many customers wants to come um, for their service. So other companies, other contractors see this, yeah, it actually works. If you are willing to accept the term of escrow service, get the payment later, do a good job, uh, you're gonna have demand. So they joined, uh, they rejoin the platform in a sense. So the platform grows. So that's really the one of the early important decisions uh, CEO made. Um, so we have this fascinating story and we just really think, okay, how can we make a model <laughs> out of it and write a paper about this to share with the world, I think, yeah. So, so you write this. You write the paper. I did you did you end up presenting it a few times and getting feedback on it and iterating it prior to the in, initial submission, or did you just sort of work in insulation between the two of you and then submit it to to AMR? What did the the sort of process from recognizing the story, working on the paper to submission look like? Any any details around that? Yeah, I can drop in here. So <clears throat> first of all, yes, we did. Uh, and uh, especially because this is a pretty unique paper, right? So it's, um, we try to submit a formal modeling paper to AMR, right? So at the recent editorial by Rich McDonald, right? You also uh, commented on that, right? Yeah. It's uh, not that a natural place, right, to submit, right? Therefore, we uh, not only present the paper in several places, but that we intentionally present the paper to audiences who are not technical or mathematical or modeling audiences. So that we, we, we kind of try to get the feedback, right? So how can we make the model accessible, right? To a, a broader audience? I would say, so yes, uh, but uh, more specifically, we actually present to you know, very different audiences so that we can improve you know the, the accessibility in some sense so i think that's super smart and great advice to people who want to submit any kind of paper to amr mm -hmm. is that amr is a big tent journal and it's mm -hmm. got a broad audience and so yeah. you've got to in essence get out of your little niche or get out of a specific focus in order to make the paper appeal to a broader audience and yeah. one way to do that is to force yourself to present to audiences that aren't in that niche. I think that's that's a re really, really valuable piece of advice. And then what about in the actual, now you've submitted it and now you're going through the R&R process. What were some other interesting features or things that you learned through that process that might've helped develop or evolve the paper. So what 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 did what did what did what happened during that process and what did you take away from it? Uh, well so 
but I would say mostly the same as the experience of other scholars. I mean, you know, we, I mean, the listeners of this uh, series can also, you know, uh, refer to other uh, uh, videos. But but I think as I mentioned earlier, right, so, so we kind of want to share what's unique about this paper. Yeah. So, so you know, even though our idea generation process was essentially at ethnographic, right? So we are not ethnographic scholars, but it, it was essentially a ethnographic experience. You know, we didn't want to write a qualitative paper, right? So, 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 so you know, uh, as, as you mentioned, right? So how do we, again, um, continue to improve the accessibility, right? So I think that was the main, I wouldn't say obstacle, but I was I would really call it the motivation, you know, the inspiration, right? So that, that, that kept us, you know, uh, just the, the, you know, going through the process, but so so really we spend a lot of time, a lot of time. I, I cannot emphasize more making our formal model accessible to the general readers. So uh, again, as, as I mentioned, right, this is quite consistent with you know uh, what the Rich McDowell and the many of us right, who made a comment on that auditorial, right. So and what you also summarized, but also I want to end this part of a. Interaction with with, uh, with a quote from our social editor, you know, Joe Mahoney. I, I think you guys, you are also a social editor. I mean, you guys just write it so well. Um, you, you, you know, it's actually an note in the final uh, acceptance letter. You know, uh, Joe wrote that. Uh, allow me to read it a, a little bit. It is quite fine. You know, you know, always you know in the end note, right? So, so you tend to write something more interesting. Yeah. You know, he said that you know being technically rigorous. And simultaneously being readable for the general reader shows a rare skill that is highly undervalued. In my judgment, within academia, uh, he said, you know, also, right, so to your question about the you know, revision, right, how we convinced uh, reviewers. He said that reviewers were especially impressed by the improved clarity in the revision, which was essential, in my view, for the successful outcome of the M1. He also commented that you improve the revision will likely lead to more, many more readers noting your contribution to the research literature. But further, the reviewers commented that the paper has genuine theoretical and practical insights to offer. Your article has the rigor of a discipline work, disciplinary work and the kind of relevance one would expect from a business consultant. Simply put, it is an example of business school scholarship at its best. So I was like, wow. So it's uh, after all the you know efforts or struggles, right? So, so to go through the revision process, which I would say pretty common, I think, across any papers. But I think in our experience, what's unique is you know our genuine effort to connect in the mathematical model with um, general readers. I have to say, yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's the challenge for anyone who wants to do a, it's a challenge. In, a, a, in particular a mathematical model for um, uh, for AMR. Interestingly enough, one of the other uh, uh, um, uh, interviews I've just done is with Hart Posen and uh, and Michael Lieblin and and John Chen, yeah. um, and they've also done a mathematical model. So yeah. we were hearing that more and more of these papers are coming out yeah. and are getting a voice and getting exposure at AMR, yeah. but still for a lot of people, what the background to these papers looks like is a, 
uh, a little bit ambiguous or unclear. And so yeah. you sharing your story is extremely helpful. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So so adding to what you just shared, I exactly right. So because AMR, as you said, is a big tent, is for the entire academy, right? It's diverse, right? So it welcomes different approaches, right? But the, not that AMR doesn't welcome certain type of research. It's just that you have to, right? So make the kind of accessible, make the fit, right? So, so in our case, you know, as we have been discussing, really, you know, actually not just the model with the literature, but actually model with the practice. So, so you know, so, you know, as shared, we spent two years, right? So even before we uh, developed any mathematical model, and, and then we try to incorporate that into, you know, the, the publication. Okay. So, I mean, I think there's three three interesting pillars that this paper is built on. It's built on your the practice experience um, and having spent that time in 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 the field, so to speak, <laughs> without without it being empirical. It's built on the rigorous mathematical modeling that you do in order to understand what's going on in the field. And then it's built on the careful writing to make it accessible to a broader audience. And if any one of those things breaks down or falls down, the paper is probably not gonna be as strong as what it would otherwise be. Now, I want to just ask a question because you both clearly, um, uh, 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 English is a second language for, for both of you. Um, and yet you're, 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 you're forced to or, or required to write in English and make it really, really a technical subject, really, really accessible. Is there any kind of advice or insight or perspective you could give to other non-first language English speakers who are trying to write conceptual papers or just trying to write any academic paper that makes it easier to get, either get stuff down in English or edit it or make it more accessible. And maybe you don't have any advice. Maybe it's just hard work or maybe you just got to do it. But is there anything that you would say to maybe a PhD student coming up who's from China or from um, uh, uh, Europe somewhere where English isn't their first language that might help them better write or better be better prepared or better enabled to write um, academic papers? Uh, I think Brian probably is a better write-off we too. Uh, so I will leave um, the main question to him. I only have one comment. I would say, if you are a student, um, try to boil down to the fundamental logic as simple as possible if you want to do mathematical modeling. So just stick with the most basic logic. Yeah. Yeah, so I fully agree. I think the first order principle should be clear. I think you know, just uh, I mean, of course, the AMR. There are so many excellent writers. I mean, like uh, Greg yourself, right? It's just uh, impossible to. I mean, yes, we can emulate, but it's just uh, you know, just take example, right? So, so it might take you, let's say, three days to write a quite decent manuscript. Even now, it might. Take me three months to do the same. No, I'm being very serious. You know, I don't know about Leon, but I came to this country like a 26. Before then, I barely spoke or 
root in English. You know, just, 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 just imagine you are doing something uh, or article in Chinese now. <laughs> so, yeah, it is crazy. But I mean, see, you know, I, I, so, so I, I did try many different uh, approaches, follow different uh, suggestions. But in the end, I have to say that I think Leon is right. So just, just if you, if you are not a native speaker, right? So maybe you should indeed do more in terms of the the essence, right? So in terms, you know, forget about all the fluffy stuff, right? So focus on the logic, right? So so that's one. The second is that I have to say that we doesn't mean that we should give up, right? So so on, on the you know writing the writing, right? So so not not like oh all the mathematical formulas, right? So I think genuinely I think a writer's job is really really to how should I say? I mean, at least, right, to make it easier for, for people to get it, right? So, so, you know, it's our job almost, right? So, so because essentially we are wasting other people's time to read, you know, right? So, at least make it enjoyable in, in some way, right? So, I, I mean, I, I learned from different people. Um, I mean, for me, so far, still, the, I have to write and rewrite and rewrite. I mean, unfortunately, and I get the feedback from uh, copy editors, from friends, from colleagues, right? So ask them not just the, the grammar stuff, right? Grammar is fun, especially nowadays, right? So with all the tools. I mean, yeah. it's really about the clarity, about the communication, right? It's about the building conversation with your readers, right? So, so that that's, um, and also I heard, I, I'm, I'm trying to implement now, even though I'm like a 45, 46, I'm still learning. I heard that, you know, maybe you pick a few good writers articles, right? And then just the decompose sentence by sentence, right? And also the structure, and then try to emulate. I, you know, I, I, I heard different things and then read more. So, but the, I really appreciate you asked this question because indeed it's been, uh, to me, the biggest uh, obstacle uh, in my scholarship. And I would imagine it's also the case for many, 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 scholars right uh, from outside the uh, uh, english speaking countries yeah yeah but i think that i think there's at least three maybe four key bits of advice there that I, I really think are worth reinforcing number one leon you said boil it down to its core what's the core logic that you're trying to convey and don't worry about all the fluff around that to start off with start off with what's what's the core logic secondly um you said Try and write that core logic as clearly as possible. Focus on clarity. Clarity is number one. Try, not trying to sound too academic or trying to sound smart or trying to, you know, uh, one up your advisor or, or sound like your advisor even. Um, just focus on on being clear. Um, uh, 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 number 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 three is recognize that if you are a non English first language speaker that it's probably going to take more time and just build that into your own expectations and um, invest the time to 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 make the paper clearer more logical to make it uh, work it out and then number four as part of that process of clarity and time get feedback from others and ask them to um point things out because it's through that that you ultimately learn and i think anyone who's from outside of an english uh, speaking country who's trying to write for amr or for amj or for asq or smj or wherever else that's an english language journal 
Um, those four things are, are certainly going to help a lot. Um, and just recognize that that this is this is a, a, a something that needs to be worked on and needs to be cleared. So I think you articulated that very, very nicely. Thank you. So finally, what, uh, what impact do you hope that this paper will have in terms of its influence on either future theorizing or empir future empirical work or actual practice or even policy? Where do, you, where do you hope its impact will be? Who do you hope is going to read it? And, and what impact do you hope that it will have on them? Leon? Uh, I, of course, we hope uh, both academics and practitioners can, can learn from this uh, paper. Um, and as, as we mentioned China earlier, so China has this overcapacity problem. Uh, so I'm hoping there are more chance people find new values, they put quality before quantity, uh, they level up the industry and they, yeah, they just don't do those brutal competition. That's, that's my hope. Yeah. yeah. So you've highlighted the sort of downside effects of just getting into these um, uh, uh, very overly populated platform spaces where there's brutal comp where where platform participants are actually competing against each other to no end. And so you hope to that 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 ultimately gets reduced and that these platforms are more carefully managed around that. Brian, any any anything to add there? Yeah, first of all, I want to echo what you guys just said, right? So indeed, we definitely also want to speak to practitioner, right? So, uh, kind of a, as you alluded to, right? So, so especially entrepreneurs, right? So in platform business, they often forced by venture capitalists to get big fast, right? But our model actually shows that, well, you know, if you ignore the, the limit, right? So uh, imposed by uh, market friction, it could result in failure, right? So that's, um, you know, uh, something we, we definitely want to communicate with practitioners and especially entrepreneurs, right? So, so you know, think about the differentiation strategy when other competitors all pursue size, pursue volume, right? So that's, uh, to me, you know, something I'm very excited about. But also even for policymakers, you know, which kind of related, right? So the policy implications. So, you know, we started the paper in, in, in a underdeveloped uh, setting you know, or contact, right? So in, in our uh, mind, you know, platforms can be a novel organizational pl platform that regulate economic activity, not the government. So the platform is similar to a central regulator in a sub-society, if you think about the platform, I mean, you did the research on online community as well, right? Think about the uh, economic activities on a platform as a sub-society, and then the platform owner as a co-and-co-regulator, regulator, right? But, but it's not like a regulator based on power, but serve as a value generating intermediary, right? So, so in that sense, you know, we hope this mechanism that, that, that again, not a central government, right? So we should never trust the government. But this for-profit, uh, uh, you know, online platform business, right, can mimic the, the good things about, uh, you know, planned economy, right? So can mimic this centrally planned economy, but also enable the, you know, efficient functioning of a decentralized economic exchange, right? So, I mean, especially again, underdeveloped 
uh, institutional environments. You know, so that, that's the main message. But also, I want to end with this kind of a question that we talked about earlier. While we keep talking about underdeveloped, right? So underdeveloped content. And that's mainly because, I mean, so far, at least, you know, the market frictions are more serious over there, right? So, so not just China, but maybe Vietnam, maybe, you know, many other countries. Africa, uh, which is where I'm originally from, you see a lot of market friction. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? So friction tends to be more serious, in part because of lack of a credit score system, you know, certified organization, some more claim the course, all that, right? But this doesn't mean that you know uh, market frictions uh, don't exist in advanced economies. Like even in the U.S., especially in new industries like a fintech. I mean, we have been hearing all the scary stories, right? You know, mm-hmm. I, I definitely think you know new regulations, new uh, models should uh, be developed to understand you know you know in, in such a new setting, essentially in, in normal setting, right? So market frictions uh, uh, are abundant, right? So so I think. Uh, we hope you know our model can can be just the step stone, right? So for more uh, studies uh, on, on this very exciting topic. So that's what I took away from it, from sort of a theory advancement standpoint. Is certainly any any strategy scholar who's interested, or even economic scholar who's interested in market frictions, and secondly, all of those many many people nowadays who are studying platforms and appreciating sort of platform strategy platform economics platform scaling or descaling or, or uh, platform e- uh, economies and so on so all of those kinds of people are going to find huge value in in number one reading this play- paper understanding the concepts behind it and then applying or integrating those concepts into their own theorizing and empirical research so i think it's got it's got good implications uh, or powerful or important implications for future theory, for empirical research, certainly for practice, as you've illustrated, and then potentially for uh, policy at both the macro and sort more micro level. So thank you for being willing to talk to us about the backstory of the paper, um, for sharing with us um, how you came up with this fascinating idea. And I, I think it's it's novel um, and it's interesting and also shedding light on the development and evolution of a mathematically mathematical model-based paper as opposed to the more typical or traditional paper that we see in AOMR, which tends to be more narrative and propositional in its style. So really appreciate it, uh, Leon and, and Brian. Thank you so much for spending the time with us. Thank you, Brian. No, thank you. Really appreciate your comments. Thank <laughs> you.